because it is Father's Day, I feel led to speak to you on the theme of I am Abba's child. How many of you are thankful that you have that testimony today? I am Abba's child. Can you say it with me this morning? I am Abba's child. And our text is from Romans chapter 8 and verse 15. And also Galatians chapter 4 and verse 6. I'm reading this morning from the Passion Translation where the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 8, and you did not receive the spirit of religious duty, leading you back into the fear of never being good enough, but you have received the spirit of full acceptance, enfolding you into the family of God, and you will never feel orphaned, for as he rises up within us, our spirits join him in saying the words of tender affection, beloved Father. Hallelujah. Then Galatians 4 and verse 6. And so that we would know that we are his true children, God released the spirit of sonship into our hearts, moving us to cry out intimately, my Father my true Father. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would reveal the Father to each and every one of us. And so that as we leave your house today, we can leave with the assurance and the declaration that I am indeed Abba's child. Get glory to your name through the ministry of your word we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen, amen. Well, Father's Day is always a very, very special day for me, not only because I'm a dad, and all of us dads know how wonderful it is to be a father. It's been one of the greatest privileges and blessings in my life. I'm blessed with three wonderful children who have also blessed us with three additional children. There's my clan up there. And they have blessed us with six awesome grandchildren. And all grandparents said, not too many grandparents in the house? We know how we feel about our grandchildren. That's God's reward, it is said, for not killing our kids, right? But they are truly a blessing and to be a father of a family of children and grandchildren who are all loving God and walking in his ways is worth more than all the money in the world. But Father's Day is also very special to me because it marks the 12th anniversary of when we stepped into this pulpit in June of 2010 on Father's Day, which was our first official day as your new pastor. And I wanna thank you for the privilege that you've given me over these 12 years to serve you in this ministry. But as I reflect back on that day, it is still very, very vivid in my mind because of a dear intercessor had been praying for us as we were moving through the process of being your candidate and speaking to you. And then finally, uh, on that first Sunday in June, 
being voted in, and uh, then they had to say goodbye to their interim pastor, and finally I came on Father's Day, which was my first official day. But that dear intercessor friend said to us, you know, Paul, I believe it is very, very significant that your first day as the new pastor of that church is on Father's Day because it's not without significance that this is your opportunity to lay a foundation into what is the most fundamental truth in all of God's word, and that is that God is our Father. God is our Father, and so we established as our church's vision and mission that when people walk into the doors of this church, they see what you see on the screen this morning, encountering God's love and experiencing the Father's embrace. If High Street Worship Center is about anything, it is about first that people would come to know and encounter God's love and experience the Father's embrace. A.W. Tozier said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Think about that for a moment. What would you say is the most important thing about what you know, what you believe, how you think, how you feel? According to A.W. Tozier, the most important thing about you is not your family of origin, it's not your profession or vocation. It's not your IQ. It's not your marital status. It's not your socioeconomic status. It's not any other status for that matter. The most important thing about you is what you think about God. And I want us all to ask ourselves that question today. When we think about God what comes to mind? Now, of course, when we ask questions like this, there's always going to be a plethora of responses. And when you consider the population of the world, if that question were to be posed, there would be just a number of responses. So many think he's just an impersonal cosmic force. He's somewhere out there in space. He is some energy force, but they have no idea who he is. For others, he's a mere caricature, and you see that picture of this old man with a big white beard who sits somewhere obscured in the throne of heaven. They believe in believing in a God, but he's totally irrelevant to their lives. For some, he's just a scorekeeper. He tracks every move that we make, and at the end of the day, we know we are going to be judged for how we have lived our lives. So many Christians see him as a heavenly butler, whereas colloquially some might call just a sugar daddy. He's there to give us what we need when we need it, how we need it, how much we need. And whenever we have a problem, we run to daddy. Daddy, give me what I need. And then we forget him until the next problem arises. 
How do you view God this morning? It's so important to answer that question because A.W. Tozer tells us we tend by secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. In other words, what you feel, what you believe about God will determine how you relate to God. So if you have a flawed view of God, then you're going to end up with a flawed life and relationship with God. I think we all understand that we've been created by God and for God. But if we somehow develop a wrong perspective, then we will approach God in a very wrong way. And the result will sadly be a very distorted, dysfunctional relationship with God. Dysfunctional relationships are so destructive, but of all people to have a dysfunctional relationship, you don't want to have that kind of relationship with God because it will determine how you live your life, what degree of joy and blessing and fulfillment you will know in your life. So if there's one thing, one thing we need to get right, one thing that is crucial that we get right, is that we have a right view of God. And thank God that he cares about this. God knew that we all have an adversary, and we know that that devil is a liar. He proved it from the very beginning when in the garden he tried, and was successful, by the way, as we know, in discrediting God in the eyes of Adam and Eve. His tricks haven't changed. He does the same thing with us. And he will try in every way to distort who God really is so that we go through life having these erroneous, false, or even sacrilegious and blasphemous ideas and images of a God who is not who we've made him to be in our own minds. The devil will always skew our view of God, but God said, I need to fix this. And the only way to fix this is by sending my son into the world. Because my son, who is the express image of exactly who I am, he will reveal the Father. Jesus revealed so much about God, didn't he? But more important than anything else, Jesus, while he walked the earth and while he taught, he hammered home this truth and this reality that God is a father. They have to understand that in the Jewish mind, that was absolutely mind-boggling and mind-blowing. God was Yahweh. But they would not say that name because that name was too sacred. That God was too holy. That God was too other than what we human beings are. So they would call him Hashem, meaning the name. They wouldn't say the name, but they would call him the name. They reverenced and feared this God, recognizing how sinful, how unclean they were. But Jesus came with the revelation 
that when they saw him, that merciful, kind, loving, gracious man who walked the shores of Galilee, that he was a clear and absolute reflection of who the Father was. And as he taught, one Bible scholar said, in the four Gospels, there are 189 references to God being our Father. Here's one classic example. When Jesus taught the disciples to pray, and how important is prayer in our life? It is so critical. It is our lifeline to heaven. And when he taught us to pray, he laid down this bedrock foundational truth and reality. He said, pray after this manner, our Father. Not Yahweh. Not Jehovah God. Not eternal God. Not God our Lord, not God our judge, not God our king, not God our omnipotent one, but Abba, Father. Aren't you glad today that when you approach God, you are approaching your heavenly Father? You're approaching your dad. And sadly, this truth is sometimes obscured, but it's really, really, truly at the very heart of the gospel. I know we're clear on the fact, why did Jesus come to this earth? And we'd all answer, his mission was to die. He was born to die. But do we understand why he had to die? He had to die so that he could restore us back into a relationship with our heavenly father and of course by his death he accomplished that and that's precisely why jesus said i am the way i am the truth i am the life no man goes to the father except through me jesus was the mediator so that we could be brought back to the father do we understand we were aliens, we were enemies, we were foreigners. This God who created us to be his children. We forsook him because we chose our own way. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have all turned to our own way. But God says, they're my kids. I want them back in my family. We know in the Old Testament, no one could ever come into that kind of intimate relationship with God because he is so holy and we were so unholy. So how did God deal with it? The cross. He nailed our sin to the cross in the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do we understand what took place at the cross? Do we understand? Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.19, God, who's God the Father, was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. They're my kids. I want them back. And the only way I could bring them back into my family is by my son taking their sin and it being nailed to the cross. Can we imagine such love such mercy and such grace how can we ever doubt god's love For the apostle paul tells us in romans 8 
and 32, for God proved his love by giving us his greatest treasure, the gift of his son. And since God freely offered him up as the sacrifice for us all, he certainly won't withhold from us anything else he has to give. What a savior. What a savior. What a God we serve. What an awesome heavenly father who would not leave us in our sin. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We need to get it clear in our minds. Why did Jesus come? He came to die on the cross, yes. But he came to usher in the revelation that God is our father and we are his children and that's not only because he's our creator who designed us according to psalm 139 that in itself is just a wonder is it not that when we were hidden in the secret place of our mother's womb before even any of our faculties were were visible god designed every member designed how tall we would be, how smart we would be, how whatever, and this human body is such an amazing composition that only a creator can make. You know, sometimes we as parents, we like to take the credit for creating our families. I will never forget, and I could steer, still hear the words of Dr. Falk when he walked out of that delivery room, that was back in the day when dads couldn't be in the delivery room. And he said, Mr. Spuler, congratulations. You created a beautiful son. I created a beautiful son. What does the Apostle Paul, he clarifies that matter. We think we have so much to do with creation, don't we? But he says, I kneel humbly in awe before the Father of the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, the perfect father of every father and child in heaven and on earth. God's the father. God is the father of every living being. But also, he did not only give us natural birth, he's our father because he's responsible for giving us spiritual birth. I love that verse in 1 John 3 and verse 9. Everyone who is truly God's child will refuse to keep sinning because, listen to this, God's seed remains within him and he's unable to continue sinning because he has been fathered by God himself. Is that an amazing passage of scripture? We know that in biology, a seed has everything that will form into that child because the DNA is there. Every faculty is contained in that seed. Spiritually, do we recognize that when we accepted Jesus Christ into our heart, the Spirit of God came into us as God's seed 
And that seed is now growing. That seed is continuing to develop. That seed is causing us to look more and more and more like Jesus Christ. That's why sometimes as a newborn babe, we don't always look exactly like Jesus. Yes, we've been given a new nature, but that new nature evolves over time. As we walk with him in the light, as he is in the light, the spirit of God molds us and shapes us and conforms us into the image of Christ. You don't arrive when you get saved. And sometimes people sometimes get a little, well, I thought they got saved. Why did they still cuss? Sometimes it takes time for those bad habits to, to be chiseled away at. And as we're in the word and as we're in prayer and as we're surrendered to the Holy Spirit, God changes us. And after time we see, wow, those things that I used to say, I don't say anymore. Those things that I used to like, I don't like anymore. God's changed my appetites. He's changed my aspirations. He's changed my ambitions. The Spirit of God is working mightily in me. He's making me like Jesus. He's giving me a heart after him and the things that that he loves, I'm now loving. And the things I used to hate, I now love because they're of God. God's seed is in us. That's why he's our father, because he brought us forth into eternal life. And apart from the seed of God being planted in us by the spirit, we could not be children of God today. But do we understand this is not just a theological truth that we embrace with our intellect. This is not a doctrine of the church. This is something that needs to get down deep into our spirits. This is a revelation that needs to come by the Spirit of God that causes me to know I have a new identity. It doesn't come from my mother. It doesn't come from my father. It comes from him. He is the one who created me. He is the one who gave me spiritual life. He is my identity. It is in the Lord Jesus Christ. I am Abba's child. And we know that that is the reality because as we've read in our text this morning in Galatians 4 and 6, and so that we would know that we are his true children, what does God do? He's released the spirit of sonship into our hearts. Do you have the spirit of sonship? Even when things are gray, even when things are not going your way, the Holy Spirit is on the inside of you. And in the inside of you, you're saying, Abba, Father. I, I don't understand what's going on, but Abba, you live on the inside of me. I'm your son. I'm your son. You're taking care of me. Everything's going to come out all right because you are my father. Spirit of sonship moving us to cry out intimately, my father, my true father. I am Abba's child. Let me hear you say that this morning. I am 
Abba's child. Can you say it with some conviction? Can you say it like you really believe it? Don't say it to me. Say it to him. I am your child. I am your child. I am Abba's child today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Abba. Abba. I am. I am your child. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. See, Jesus knew what his mission was to reveal the Father. And before he went to the cross in John 17, as we read his high priestly prayer, he says, Abba, I've made known your name to these men whom you have given to me. You know, in our day and age, we name our children because it's popular. We never really think about what the meaning of those names are. It's just like, that's, a po- that's in the top 10 names. That's what my kid's name's going to be. But in Bible times, names were given because they had meaning and they spoke to a person's character. They spoke to their essence. What did Jesus reveal in the name of God that he is a father? He is a father. And in that name is his essence, his nature, and his character. And when I think about the fatherhood of God, I see the perfection of fatherhood. You know, as earthlings, fathers, as much as we'd hate to admit it, because we like to be supermen, right? And in the minds of our kids, we want them to know that we are the be-all and the end-all. After all, I am your dad. But we are so frail. We are so finite. We are so broken. But when we look at God, he is the perfect father. We're limited in our power. He is the omnipotent father. He has all power we, we have our end of showing mercy. How many of us are willing to admit? How many times in raising our children, we came to the end of our mercy, and boy, did we let our kids have it. Oh, yes, we say it's because we love them, and I know that's true. But I'll have to confess, there were times in my life that I did not do it out of loving compassion, but out of anger, out of frustration, and that was dead wrong, but not Abba Father. When he disciplines us, he disciplines us out of love, out of compassion, and out of mercy. He's a gracious God who is full of goodness. He loves unconditionally. His love never ends and it never quits. His grace is so long-suffering. How many times do we just lose patience with our kids? But God never loses patience with us. He's bountiful and he's lavish in his giving. He's the fountainhead of all wisdom. You know, sometimes little children think, my dad is so smart. Then, of course, when they get in their teenage years, dad's not so smart. But then when they get really old, well, dad was pretty smart after all, huh? But we still weren't in God with infinite wisdom but our Heavenly Father 
has infinite wisdom. He is the fountainhead of all wisdom and knowledge. Every truth that we need, every direction in life that we need, he has the answer to every problem and every need. Every time we sin, he is there to forgive us as we for, uh, confess our sin and repent of it. He's there to restore our soul. How many times our children are broken, we try to hold them close to our heart, but they're still sobbing, they're still moaning, they're still groaning, they're still feeling hurt. But God, by his spirit, in his own precious way, restores our soul and leads us beside still waters as we walk in paths of righteousness. He always judges righteously. He's never impartial. You know, parents, sometimes we get a little partial. So our firstborn typically gets the bad end of the stick, especially when the third baby comes around because they get a little more spoiled and it's always big brother's fault, right? But not our heavenly father. He loves us all equally and he never changes. He's ever faithful. He never abandons us. He's always our security. He's always our strength. There are times when our father and our mother may even forsake us, the psalmist says, but then the Lord will take us up. You know, it's wonderful to have good and wonderful parents, godly parents, faithful parents, loyal parents, but there will come a time in our life when they will be no more. And if we're solely depending on them, our feet are not planted on solid ground. We need to know that we have a heavenly father who will take us up. He supplies all that we have need of. And oh, how I love this passage in Matthew chapter 7. Do you know of any parent who would give his hungry child who asked for food a plate of rocks instead? I mean, is that the most preposterous thing that you'd ever think? But how many times? What, what's your concept of God? That you're asking God for something that you feel is really important, but the devil is telling you, God doesn't really love you. What makes you think God's going to do that for you? If our earthly parents wouldn't do that, or when a child asks for a piece of fish, what parent would offer his child a snake? If you, imperfect as you are, know how to lovingly take care of your children and give them what is best, how much more? If you ever want a, a great study in God's word, find out all the how much mores in the scripture. How much more ready is your heavenly father to give wonderful gifts to those who ask him? God, I need you. God, I need direction. God, I, I, I can't see my way. God, I don't know how I'm going to fulfill my purpose and plan in life. But does not God our Father say, I will perfect that which concerns you? And we read in Isaiah 64, but now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are the work of your hands. So what's our response today? Father, mold me, shape me, form me in the image that you've created for me. Not what others have tried to make me to be. Not what other experiences have pushed me into some mold. I'm only going to be what your seed in me. 
has determined what I will be. Oh, how we need to be awakened to the revelation that we have a heavenly father. You know, when Jesus rose from the grave and when he confronted Mary, who was so distraught over him dying and being buried, we read these amazing words of Jesus in chapter 20 of John. Jesus cautioned her, Mary, don't cling to me, for I've not yet ascended to God my Father. But listen to these words. They are mind-blowing. And he's not only my Father, but now he's your Father and your God. So go now and tell my brothers what I've told you, that I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Can we wrap our minds around this, that that intimate of all relationships that the son had with his father through the blood of the cross, he says, that is yours now. All of it, every bit of it, in the same way that I have this intimate oneness of relationship with Abba God, now he's also your Abba, and he is also your God. Oh, how utterly important it is that we know this reality in our lives. Do you know, you know why we need to know it? Because God hardwired us to know it. And if we don't know it, we will go through life frustrated. We will go through life with insecurities. We will go through life that when the slightest offense comes our way, we're ready to lose it. We're ready to walk out on God, walk out on the church. You know what's wrong? You don't have an identity in your relationship as a son and a daughter of Almighty God. You know, no matter how wonderful your earthly dad may have been, no matter how perfectly we might think that they were as parents, they can never measure up to God. Never. I mean, it's preposterous to even think that there's any comparison. And that's why Jesus said, if we who are evil know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more the Father who loves us with an everlasting love, the Father who gave his best, his only son, to bring us back into his family, how much more? And then the scripture, and I'm closing with this, paints this beautiful picture of who God is in the Psalms. Let all the righteous be glad. Yes, let them all rejoice in your presence and be carried away with gladness. Let them laugh and be radiant with joy. Let them sing their celebration songs for the coming of the cloud writer whose name is Yah. What's he saying? The cloud rider. That God who is transcendent, who rides on the clouds of glory. He is coming, and who is he to the fatherless? He is a father. To the widow, he is a champion friend. The lonely, he makes part of a family. The prisoners, he leads into prosperity until they sing for joy. 
This is our holy God in his holy place. What a picture of our almighty God, of our majestic God, riding on the clouds, revealing himself as the father to the fatherless. I think that's one of the saddest labels that we could put on a person. Oh, they're fatherless. Now take it from someone who knows. Because I was labeled as fatherless. Not because my dad did not want to be present, but he was sick. He was not able to be present. And all of us, or many I should say, in the world have suffered a fatherless wound. Maybe their dad was present, but he was emotionally absent. So he may as well have not been present. Maybe he was abusive. Maybe he was hurtful. Maybe he wounded you in ways that you feel you will never able to be recover from. But God, by his spirit, is wanting to whisper into your heart today and say, I am the father to the fatherless. I am the healer of every broken heart, of every wounded spirit. God hardwired us to have the love of a father. And to be bereft of that is a deep wound and pain that can only be healed by our heavenly father. <laughs> and I stand before you today as a testimony of how Abba Father reveals love to a fatherless child who longed for the affirmation of an earthly dad but never had it. But when he came into my life, he healed that wound. He bound up the broken heart. And he caused me to see that my identity is not in that I was a fatherless child, but that now I am Abba's child. You are Abba's child. No matter what you may have lost in your childhood by a father who disappointed you, by a father who let you down, Abba Father wants to heal those broken places. This transcendent God who rides on the clouds is speaking to you today and is saying, I have a special place in my heart just for you. And as we move in the direction of this reality of who God is, and as we come into a alignment with him as his beloved children, something happens. We, begun, we begin to see how he sees us. And do you know what? When we see how God sees us, that trumps how we see ourselves. That trumps how others see us. How he sees us is now our identity. How he sees us is now our guiding principle through all of life. Oh, saints of God today, I know that there are people in God's house who are going through life with a deep father wound, but God wants you to know today that you are Abba's child. 
that he gave his life for you on the cross. And today he wants to whisper to your heart, you are my son, you are my daughter. Come home to daddy. Come home to daddy. Crawl up into his lap and let him hold you close to his heart. We're closing our service this morning by singing a song, Abba, Father. It's a simple song. It's an old song. If you don't know it, I just want you to listen to the words. I want you to close yourself in with God. And I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to bring the revelation to your heart so that you could say, I am Abba's child. Amen. Let's stand as we sing it together. If you feel the need to come to the altar, we invite you to come and allow